Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, this is Pablo Sabaleta. This is Troy Dini. This is Kevin Phillips. This is Jürgen Klopp, and you're listening to The Big Interview with Graham Hunter. Thank you, Jürgen. I travelled to all these interviews from Barcelona, and our socios, our beloved members, keep us on the road. This independent podcast would not happen without them. Please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to become a socio, to become one of our members and get an extra big interview every month, plus loads of bonus content. So, go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Graham Hunter, and we'll bring you joy. If I'm Graham Hunter and I am, then this must be the big interview. Today's guest, another special one, is the man who played half of his career with his name spelled incorrectly on the back of his shirt. It's Don Hutchison, no N. I got to know him a little bit on social media, having listened to him adding his considerable articulate skills to co-commentaries on European football, where he knows systems and players and adds something. What he also adds on social media is utter adoration of the Stone Roses. Don Hutchison often sends me lemons. And when Don Hutchison sends you lemons, you don't make lemonade, you make a podcast. As a footballer, he was articulate, elegant, clever, used the ball really well, out of time. Had he been playing in the modern era, he'd have been transferred to Sevilla or Villarreal. Or at least that's the way I like to think about it. Coming up in this part of the interview how it feels or felt to him to be caught in one of Patrick Vieira's traps. Inspector Gadget comes up. And Wembley 99, where Don hid that stepladder. It was a good time to take one giant leap for kilted mankind. This, ladies and gentlemen, children, and anybody listening around the universe, is Don Hutchison on The Big Interview. We love craftsmen, uh, Don Hutchison. We love um, elegant footballers on this podcast, people who love the ball and could use it well. And that's one of the many reasons you're here. I was just thinking who's coming in. One of the many reasons <laughs> that you're here. Um, you were that. But what we often do, and it's quite an, a basic technique when you're having a conversation with somebody, is to go back to origins. Don't always do that. But there is a name um, which I possibly can't pronounce, but does fascinate me. 
We did this with uh, Michael Carrick uh, because Walls in Boys Club, mm. and I think it was called the Box or something there. This tiny little wooden room where there was no space, too many people, yeah. and therefore what you did with the ball was I crucial. Could see it. I'd like to know a little bit about Red Hugh. Reguff. Reguff. Oh, get out of there. Yeah, Boys Club. This is why foreigners can't learn English. It, it, it's ridiculous spelling, dear, it really dear, is. Dear listener, it's R-E-D-E-U-G-H. And in Scotland, up in Scotland, that'd be Red Hugh. So, and one more shot at it. Reguff. Reguff Boys Club. That's it. In Gateshead. Take us back there. Um, what it looked like, what it sounded like, what it smelt like. Yeah. Um, church building. Um, central hall with probably... Two or three rooms off to the left-hand side, small rooms, 15 by 15. Uh, one changing room. Um, likewise, on the right-hand side, a couple of rooms, probably a little bit bigger. And then you went through a couple of doors, then a huge sort of hall, snooker table, 12-foot snooker table at the top, which we were never allowed on at that oh, age. Yeah. Only the seniors could play on that. Then a couple of smaller pool tables, table, t- table tennis tables. Um, but all the sort of football work was done in the central hall where we used to have... A couple of benches just turned over for goals. Yeah, I remember um, that. Softball. Um, and then you just learnt your skills. And we used to play a game called doors where, there's, as I said, there's three or four doors off the left-hand side, a couple of doors at the top, three or four off the right. So everyone would basically have a door, and that was your own goal. So do not let any goals into your goal uh-huh. and score in the opposition goal. When you get three goals, he was gone. Okay. And then you just you, you just took them Were away. Were all the doors live, or did you have to select? Um, we on a good day we could open the doors uh-huh. and have them as a, a sort of more of a realistic more like a goal. goal. Uh-huh. But if someone's playing tennis in there, or someone's playing whatever the game might be, pool in there, and they want some fri- privacy, and the older boys went shut the door, the door was shut. Uh-huh. If it was open on a great day, it was a better day because they felt more real. Yeah, yeah. And then you could see the ball go in the if back the ball of the goes net. Through something. Exactly, it's in. It's like when you're a kid and you've got nets up. It's, like, it's a different ball game than just having a couple of goals there. So it was a great game because you had to sort of... Um, and I was very... I've always been a thinker about the game, trying to find out different ways of solving problems. And if someone was just standing on their door, it's quite difficult to try yeah. and score. So you learn along the way on how right, how can I suck him out of his door? Can I take the ball into a central area? Who's going to actually be brave enough to come off their door? And which one's stupid enough to come off their door? And have I got the skill? Have the other boys got the skill to try and expose that? And I learned very quickly, if someone was just standing on their door, is to chip the ball over the top of the, 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 the door on purpose. He would then ball watch, and then you've got a dive, well, not a diving header, but a run and jump, you bang. A, you put a wall dunk, pass. A, a wall literally pass, a wall pass. With a Duncan Ferguson banging header at the end of it. So it was like, then he's, then he's a goal down, he's only got two lives left. And then it was just a real get. but it was real, it was intense, you know. It was, it was kids playing that sport, that game, with, with, with so much ferocity because everyone's teenagers everyone's 12, 13, 14 and that's where you start from and everyone wanted to win yeah. and everyone was just as good as each other you know really? so, yeah, absolutely if a coach had walked in and, and through those three or four years tried to tell you which ones were going to make it as a pro he'd have, he'd have had a hard task because everyone was at a very very high standard what made the difference in the end? a lucky break um, I we were winning trophies for fun, Reggie Boys Club. I think we set a sort of not official Guinness Book of Records, but we weren't far away from something like three years unbeaten, winning every league game, winning every trophy, because we had a fantastic side. Um, and then a friendly game appeared against Newcastle United, uh, and Newcastle wanted the friendly to be taken on, and I think we were about 17 at the time. 
and it was a it was a chance for us to to play in front of Newcastle United and their scouts, and we always sort of got wind. As a teenager, you get wind when there's a scout there. There's a man standing there with a big Adidas tracksuit, a Puma tracksuit, and you're going, "He must be a scout. He's not a dad." <laughs> and you sort of right, you, you up your game a little bit, and it was a game where I just had one of my most perfect games I've ever had in my life, and I scored a couple of goals, and we destroyed Newcastle, and then one of their youngsters just lost his head and just smashed me with a two-footer tackle and broke my knee. Oh. And it was absolutely devastating. That was my whole world crashing down at 17, thinking I've just had the most 70 minutes perfect game of my life. And then as boys do, as lads do, when it's not going their way, they just, just take a bit of retribution out. And it was intentional. It was, it was, it was. yeah, it was. And um, it put me out of the game for eight or nine months um, and I had to fight really hard rehabbing. Newcastle were brilliant. Their, their physio at the time, I think it was Derek Fazakli, I think his name was, um, he took me in for treatment. Um, even meeting people like P- Peter Beardsley and whoever the players were at the time, maybe people like Scott Sellers and, and guys like that who were in and around the dressing room who were getting treatment and just sitting there and, you know, 17 getting treatment just amazing not quite worth the injury, no but, 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 but almost but, like the but, bonus of yeah but as a kid it's like it's the biggest day of my life just wow. going for treatment yeah you know being at Newcastle United my yeah. boy, boyhood club who I supported for forever um, and then I had to really fight to get back and play at that sort of standard which took me a while um, and then we were playing in a cup final and Pop Robson was yeah. there well West Ham Sunderland he was slight come over very good in the air yeah he was um, he was Hartlepool's um, assistant manager and he was at the game uh, and he, he saw something in me that was worth having a conversation and he just said how do you feel about coming for a trial at Hartlepool and I went absolutely like perfect can't wait so me in the centre half we had loads of good players but probably at this time there was myself and a centre half who were probably just starting to shine and he asked the pair of us to go for a trial. We played against Sunderland, scored a couple of goals. He played well, the centre-half. I played well. And Pop said, look, we'd want to take you on. We want to sign you. But I was at a difficult age where I was at 17 and a half stroke 18 where you couldn't sign pro forms at the time because you're too young. Yep. Um, and you were too old to, to, to sort of be an apprentice. So I had to go, if I was going to sign, be on a YTS wage, which was £27.50. Uh, and I was an apprentice youth for- training scheme for those who don't yeah, remember it youth yeah training youth training scheme. scheme and I was an apprentice forklift driver at the time earning decent money um, just starting to sort of grow into a man and get a real job and he asked me what, and I said I'm taking it I'll take the, I'll take the opportunity centre half was a postman earning decent money he went what about you and he went no he went not going to go for it he went I wanna, I'm earning good money doing this and we walked away and I went are you mental I went this is a chance for us to have a trial it's never going to come around again he went no he went I'm earning good money this is what I want to do and I signed for Hartlepool, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, from, I think I was probably there eight, nine months, and I went to Liverpool. Something like 24 league games. Incredible. And you're at Anfield. Incredible. So he must have been absolutely kicking himself. Two questions apply there. Just in your assessment of him then, mm. what level was he compared to what you now know, the level you were at after you look back across a professional career? Was he at or around the level? I think he was. Yeah. I think he was. Difficult to know where... Yeah. We're all going to go at yeah. 17 because you know, we're raw, we're daft, we don't really know the world. You don't know about the profession that you're in. You, know, you, you don't know the game. It holds you, a lot of surprises, you, doesn't it? Graham Sooner said to me when I was at Liverpool, and, and it was one of them light bulb moments where he said to me, he said, you do too much running for a central midfield player. And I went, what do you mean, Gaffer? And he went, one day when you will learn to let the game come to you. And I walked out of his office 
And Jamie Redknapp said, what did the gaffer say? And I went, I've got no idea. I said, I, I, don't know what, I, said, I know what he said, but I don't know what he meant. Because I was 18, 18 and a half, 19. And I sort of brushed it off. And then years later, I was at West Ham and I had a game where it just came so easy. And all I was doing was, I felt like I was standing still. And I was just like a buffer. And everything that was good was just seemed to be going through me. And I didn't need to move. Br- br- and I was that, going... Break that again. down for a listener then, because let's you, you, the words bounce off you a little bit, 18 and a half from Sooners, despite your respect for what he was, which yeah. was one of the best. Well, I love him. Position. I love him. He's, he's been a guest the Adore the guy. on this. We do too. Yeah. He's, he's in my, of my lifetime. Yeah. He's in my all-time world 11. Right. Because he had a mix of things that you don't really get. No. Across the And that's years. why I probably loved Stevie G, because yes. he's probably the closest thing ever to Graham. Close. I have my yeah, no, but comparisons, yeah. But like when, that day at West Ham when the words clicked because you were doing what the words were meant to mm. tell you, was that because, uh, two things occur, either that day at West Ham you were positionally brilliant, Yeah. you didn't have to make the game come to you because you were in the right place all the time, whether that was six or 16 paces this way, that way. Yeah. But presumably another part of that is that your teammates, I'm interpreting, yeah. had the respect for you, said, well, we'll give it to Don in this situation. It's, yeah. This is, I'm looking for Don, I'm turning, I'm going to give it. Because when your team, it's a team game. Yeah. No matter how well you do your part of it, if everybody else is doing theirs pretty well and they're looking for you in the right way, then the game can come to yeah. you. What was it's, the... I think, I think a large part is, is, is experience and having the amount of pitches in your brain that you've been doing over the years from the age of you know, 14, 15 when you're at Redgeff Boys Club and playing these sort of street games to try and solve problems then you go to Liverpool and I was a cross country runner that was, that was me I was box to box I was a cross country runner at school so I took that into my early days at Liverpool and when you get thrust into the first team then and you're in a midfield three of yourself Ronnie Whelan and Jan Molby it's almost like you go right well can I be as good as Jan Molby? No can I be as good as Ronnie Whelan? No at that time so what can I bring? I can bring legs. I'll do the thing that I know I can do. Exactly, and I can do it, I can do it so easily. So I'll give them the legs. They can have all the ball. We can play well, we can win games, and it's a team game, and the three of us hopefully excel, and we do well. Uh, so what I was doing was constantly just being on the move and covering between 12 and 15 miles a game. And Graham was probably looking at me as a central midfielder as he was, thinking... He's just doing too much running. Mm-hmm. He's great because he's getting in the box. Mm-hmm. And Graham could probably understand what I was doing because of the players I was playing with. Mm-hmm. But on the grand scheme of things, he probably knew that I probably could, couldn't sustain that for 10 years because you can't. And at some point, you've got to try and find the football intelligence to then play in midfield. Mm-hmm. And that probably one day at West Ham probably came after another 50 to 100 appearances where you play them well. You are the buffer. The teammates trust you. Your passing ability's on. You're winning the game. You're cruising. Everything's going well. And you're going, I've hardly moved today. Mm. Even though if you probably looked at those stats, you probably were. Mm-hmm. And you might have You've covered a couple of miles, miles less. Yeah, you might have covered a few miles less. But everything is just one of them where you, you, you're an hour into the game and it's almost like you're just playing with a light bulb above your head mm-hmm. and going, this is Graham Souness. Mm. This is what the gaffer would have wanted. All those years ago, this is it. This is, this is letting the game come to you. Two, two people then come to mind. One, wasn't Molby one of those guys that let the game come to him? Absolutely. Well, he was, he was the guy that, you know, unfortunately, I think when people judge on how Jan was as a player, they'll probably say, didn't come out of the centre circle, did he? And he probably didn't, <laughs> but he probably did. But 
he was just an unbelievable passer of the ball. Wasn't he? Free kicks, penalties, you know, strong as an ox. Couldn't get the ball off him in training. Um, intelligent. Um, really, really, and uh, when, you, when you look at the Liverpool greats over the years, very underrated. Yeah, I think so. It, it's also part of the reason I, that I meant what I said about you, like watching him play, I think, was something beautiful. Yeah. What we're all now taught is about systems and tactics and strategy, which viewers didn't used to be taught about. And if you had it as an amateur or semi-pro player, maybe you understood it. But we, look, we watched to see drama yeah. in the old days. We watched to see if we won. Yeah. Uh, we watched for the atmosphere, Anfield or Pataudry, wherever it might be. Um, but when I, whenever I saw Moby, one of the things that struck me was just how gorgeous the thing oh. about balance, calm, exactly ball will come to me I don't care who's rushing at me that's what I'm going to do now this now give it back to me now this mm. it's a thing of beauty to watch there's players playing now um, where you look and you think they haven't got the the vision and the vision's not necessarily having the vision to pick a pass it's, and we call it in the game you know, taking pictures and checking your shoulders as in if, if a right back gives you the ball if you're playing central midfield for Liverpool and Rob Jones is just about to give you the ball you should already have a vision and check your shoulders what's on before the ball's coming I think some younger players now tend to react when they get hold of the ball. Mm-hmm. Ross Barkley comes to mind. Mm-hmm. He's a player with so much ability, but he doesn't see the picture quick enough. Mm-hmm. And he'll get better. And when he starts checking his shoulders and, and, and not be so much square on, be side on when you receive the ball, get yourself on less touches. You know, but square on, side on, you're talking about like just knowing what's behind you because the ball, you know the ball's going to come to you. And you maybe just corkscrew your body half a turn. And take the ball on the back you foot. You don't need a touch no. or half but touch. The, the easiest way to try and describe it is if, you're, if a centre-half has given you the ball and you are square on to him, you can't see what's behind you. So if you get side on and the ball comes to you, you've got your peripheral vision to the left-hand side. You know the ball's on its way. You know where your midfield players are. Can you just pop it off one touch because you're under pressure? Can you take it on the back foot and then pick a pass? And you get all of this with experience, mm-hmm. but also you, you, you do have that. It's inner-built quite early on. It's, it's, that's not something the coaches should have to work too hard on to teach you. You know, if you're in a central area... And I, I, I remember going back to a game where I played for Everton against Arsenal and it was a, I think it was the second last game of the season when we got destroyed and Tony Adams scored 4-1 yeah 4-1 and we stayed up on the last day of the season the week after against Coventry with a 1-1 draw and Vieira was the best, best exponent I've mm-hmm. ever seen of letting you think you've got time on the ball and every time Michael Ball our left back got hold of the ball and he looked at me I checked my shoulders and see Vieira 15-20 yards off me so I'm thinking right Ballie I'm on by the time Michael Ball played me a 20 yards pass and I turned, Vieira was bang. And he was doing me every single time. And I was going, this is a joke because every time I'm looking, he's 20 yards away. He was covering the amount of ground up. And basically what he was doing, he was setting traps for me. He was going, go on, you think you can get hold of the ball? And by the time Michael Ball rolls you the ball, which was 10, 15 yards, he can cover that ground over 10 yards in what? Two seconds? And Three he's, seconds? He's got a part, and they're covering the ground because for anybody who doesn't remember Vieira, He's got legs like stilts. Yeah. But the other thing is, my memory of him was that he's got a tremendous anticipation. So that even before that first move, when he's, it's a beautiful phrase to set the trap, yeah. his head is going, I know when I'm setting off, I know when Michael Ball yeah. is going to pick the pass. Also, he, 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 I mean, I shouldn't, I'm not allowed to swear in this anymore, but like, 
He had telescopic legs. Yeah. He used to Spent come out gadget. like Marvel. Co- Spent a gadget. It's exactly like, Same. it's this long. Now it's like, oh, yeah. and it's round the back. And, and it, the, the, the foot, his foot had a hook on it. Yeah. Like Long John Silver. Because yeah. the boot's straight and then it's like, oh, it's hooked round and it's nicked the ball off me. And he's away. But can you imagine having that intelligence where not only was Vieira looking at me and looking at my position, mm. also looking at Michael Ball, mm. looking at the distance that Michael Ball had to play the pass to me, 20 yards, mm. knowing Calculating. not to set off too early. Yeah. If he sets off too early, I can hear him, I can feel him, I can breathe him. <laughs> I just pop it back to Michael Ball and go, you just wasted 20 yards there. <laughs> so all that, all that football intelligence, which happens a million times a game to different... different it's, it's a wonderful thing when you see it. Yeah. And even, it's even better when you've had it done against you. Because it'll never leave me. I said you made me think of two names... So Moby was one. The other one is a, a guy that we share respect for in the way you've been describing reading and position, body positioning, and, and it's Busquets because mm. um, well, I I know already. I've cheated. I know what you think about him, but he mm. also uh, meets exactly the spec you've been talking about about the yeah. central midfield player who sets traps, who reads things, and you you, you take a lot of fun watching him, or you have done yeah. watching him play, right? Love him, absolutely adore watching him play because the game to some people comes very easy. And he's one where you think he could play at least 40 because his football brain seems to be bigger than anyone else's. He probably doesn't cover the amount of ground anyone else does um, for Barca. Um, Granted, he needs the legs in and around him, but still take nothing away from his ability and how he can manipulate the ball, his body position, knows when he's being closed down, knows when to take one touch, two touch, uh, knows when to play a forward pass. I think when a lot of people lazily watch football and watch people like Busquets and Michael Carrick, they think, the, they think they just pass the ball sideways and backwards, which is not true. Busquets is one of the best exponents of taking it on the back foot and banging it into someone like Messi, banging it into to Luis Suarez, the, the so-called better players, but I'm using that loosely because yeah. they're the match winners. Instead of just going five yards and being safe, I hate, being, I hate watching safe midfield players. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. I've got two directions I want to go in now off the back of this, but I can't leave... This, this little part of um, the chat, without asking you, you saw the passes, you saw the risks, and you had the ability to deliver them. Were you ever scared of doing that? Or did you Never. ever reach a point where you doubt, I'm not going to do that because Never. this might happen? Never. Never. Ever. You, you lose a bit of confidence, of course you do. Every player goes through that. Um, and it does happen where you might just see a killer pass, but you give a few balls away, mm. as in half a dozen balls, and then you go, right... What you've got to do now is just go back to basics. When you're young, we, in the game we call it the Hollywood ball, when you give four or five away, you try to then go for the spectacular yeah. to try and redeem all your confidence back in one hit. And it never works because you've given that one away, then all of a sudden you are digging for so much confidence and trying to yeah. find something. Whereas when you get a little bit more experience and you give a couple of passes away, the first thing you do is go safe. And you build your confidence yeah. over... Short, a shorter period of time yeah. and then when you feel as though you're ultra confident you go for them passes again mm-hmm. but f- f- over, over weeks and months I wouldn't imagine I ever went against my principles about taking risks maybe in a game or, or definitely in a game it would have happened at some point mm. I don't think you could sit here and say I, I never lost any confidence because it goes through every player at some point where mm. when you're playing well and I mentioned before about Jan and, 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 and Busquets and Michael Carrick when the game's easy you can just have a picture in your head. I know where Trevor Sinclair is out on the right-hand side. I know the distances that he's away from me. I know how fast Trevor can run. I'll take one touch and I'll put it in the space. When you've lost that confidence, you mm. overthink it. Yeah. And then you see it. You know it's there. You question yourself. This is all inside one second. Y- y- yeah. And then you go, what I'll do is I'll take one more touch. You're dead. It's not yeah. on anymore. That pass to Trevor's not on. It's he's got almost automatic. It Once has. you've seen the picture, it has. you just do you've it. You've got to do it. Then I cheated there because I was going to move into another um, chapter a little bit, but you've drawn me back to what I'm reminded was Kev Phillips. I always thought it was Robbie Keane in this series. where He gave us an anecdote about being able to walk into a restaurant with his wife and not look around, go sit down at a table, and he'd be able to tell you how many people were there, who they were, if he knew anybody, just because of peripheral vision. Yes. You've talked about pictures, which is a slightly different thing because... You might look over your shoulder, gather mm. information really quickly, or you might automatically know from a shout, from whether it was Ball or whether it was Tony Cotty, whoever it might be. But what's your peripheral vision like, do you think? Very good. I, I always thought that was one of the strongest parts of my game. And my coach at Regif Boys, Terry Ritson, said that is the strongest part of your game. Your vision, you've got to have it. Because if you haven't got the vision, how can you execute the pass? You've got to have it. You've got, you, you, you've got to... When you, you've got to find a way of... Not just staring down at the ball because your peripheral vision is then lesser than what it should be, and you try and find a middle ground, and it's it's, it's ridiculously hard to try and explain, and it's actually difficult to try and put it into words. But you've got to be sort of staring into, not almost no man's land, but not staring at the ball, not staring on who's passing you the ball, not staring on where the pass is eventually going to go, 
but you're staring in a sort of central area where you can see probably all three. Right-hand side, you know the ball's coming in. Left-hand side, who's making the run? And then it all sort of comes together in, in a way where you'd have to be literally talking to a, a biomechanic or a sports scientist for them guys to put it into words. And I, I was talking to, to a biomechanic in Ireland years ago, years ago, 10, 15 years ago. We were both having a little drink at the end of the night. And he went, you know what? He went, I often think footballers are cleverer than Einstein. And actually, he's in my phone as Einstein. When he rings me, <laughs> Einstein comes up. And I went, what? And he went, you don't realise how clever you guys are. Mm. And I went, what do you mean? And he went, well, I'll paint a picture. And he went, see if you can try and explain. Because he went, you can't. And he went, I know for a fact you can't. But I'll paint you a picture of what's going on when you're playing the game. And he went, just say you're playing for Man United. And I'll use Ryan Giggs as a... As an example, you get the ball in central midfield, you see Ryan Giggs, so the biomechanics have already kicked into your brain that you've had the vision and the peripheral vision to spot him. You know he's 27 yards away from you. You've calculated the math where you know Ryan Giggs could run at 17 miles an hour. You're not going to play it into his feet, but you're going to play it 10 yards in front of him. You've done all that equation in one second and then you deliver it, deliver that pass on a sixpence to him. How do you do that? I've got no idea. Mm-hmm. And he went, so... I've never heard it put like that. And it made me think. Mm-hmm. And, and it made me think of how many times in one second you are doing that a game and how many pictures you're taking. Vision, physics, geometry, high-speed processing that you don't get in a Which all back. footballers don't understand. Yeah. So, but, but, for, but it comes... For anybody who, who does your part of that job, probably even for defenders who've got peripherally aware in different ways... Your processing skills, well, how whether you, you can explain them or you understand well, them or not, they have well, to be there. Well, how do you do that math? How on earth do you do it? How do you solve it that gift. equation? It is a great gift. Isn't it? Because how, so. if Ryan Giggs then couldn't run at the speed he was running, it was mm. someone slower. Mm. You've you have then recalibrate. Of course. Go to his feet. How fast can he run? Kenny. Mm. Does he make a mean beans on toast? Did I don't you, know. Did you truthfully nick round to his house? We did. With Jamie to watch football of a night. We did, and we didn't. We didn't nick round. What happened was, um, I think it was was it Canal Plus, um, which was showing the French um, league at the time randomly. I think on a Thursday or a Friday night, back in the early nineties, um, and Jamie was obviously tight with with Kenny because obviously Harry. Harry. Um, and Jamie got the invite to go around for dinner. Uh, and obviously we were in digs together, so I was obviously invited, petrified, absolutely petrified because it's Kenny Daglish, exactly the same as what it would have been with Graham when we're all young. We don't know how to act in front of real legends. So, you know, you're sitting there having dinner, couldn't remember what we ate. Um, Jamie's and myself trying to have a conversation with Kenny, couldn't for the life of me understand what he was saying. So every single conversation or sentence he spoke, I fake laughed. And he must have been thinking, what is he doing? Because I just, I just couldn't understand him. A lad from Newcastle with, with Kenny's thick Scottish accent, I just couldn't get it. But it, 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 it was an unbelievable thing that a manager was inviting two young kids round just to watch a bit of football and have a conversation and break away from your digs and go and meet the family. It was, it was really, really smart of Kenny, but brilliant for us. And action-wise, you're not kidding. Was it the drawl or the delivery or pure accent that was I hard think to get everything on nerves? Because Kenny's always had that sort of... Different, different delivery. Completely different than any yeah. other Scottish accent in, it's, in, it's in, a in memory. Draw. It's a Bogart draw. It's a, out the side of the mouth. It can be taken from film noir in the yeah. 50s. 
Yeah. There's no, there's no, there's not a lot. You couldn't lip read it. No. It's That's what I'm saying. So can you imagine trying to overly concentrate on someone's what they're saying? Yeah. Put yourself at 18, and, and Jamie was what 17 at the time. Impossible. In his big massive mansion, watching French football. It's amazing. It's a good experience, and um, it, it makes me ask, what was your dad's accent like? Um, it wasn't as strong, I think, because he came down from Nairn to be a miner when he was 17. He left the family home to try and put money on the, on the table for his mum and dad. Um, so by the time I was growing up, he, he, he obviously he, he had it, but it wasn't as strong. Uh, tough man, six foot four, hard as you like, um, worked really hard. Um, he was a cricket man more than football. Rangers was his sort of his team, but he wasn't overly obsessed with football. But, you know, adored him for, for, for what he was, but he was tough. Um, and I only ever seen him cry once in the whole of my life. I seen him cry once, and it was at Wembley when I scored the winner. Huh. And um, I said, Are you all right, Dad? And he, Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> tears just coming, eyes red. Wasn't yeah. sobbing, wasn't like bawling, because yeah. he wouldn't allow himself to ball. No. But, Easily just the, the, the most standout moment in my life seeing my old man having a tear. Does it form you being the child of a miner, do you think? It does, because we went through a rough period, obviously, when the miner strike was on. For me and my brother, that was a hard period to try and go through. Um, Mum and dad not really having any money. Certainly at that period, dad was having no money because he was on strike. Um, not much food on the table. You got yeah. by, you know, you mentioned beans on toast, it is what it is, and... That was, that was quite a luxury back then. Um, and the minor strike was on. It seemed to last forever. Um, and it was, it, was, it was hard. But you do, it was the norm. It was like, we, we don't know any different. And so he's at Wembley. And for those um, who, who don't remember, it's 1999. Mm-hmm. Um, Scotland have got to the verge of a tournament. Yeah. Um, having been at the World Cup the year before. Um, so, and, and for umpteen prior to that, from 74 onwards... Um, and my memory is that Scotland played quite well at Hamden in the first leg of that. Yeah, and played really well. Just got picked off by a, a gem of a player. Incredible. Paul Scholes. Yeah. But um, before we even talk, to, talk about your dad being at Wembley, what was, the, what, what was the challenge to you about going down to Wembley? You'd, you'd always considered, yeah. apart from who you played for, you'd always considered always. yourself Scottish. Always. All my pitches have, have been a kids in the Scotland strip. I've um, got a lovely picture of me and my dad were at Butlins and he's standing there with a big, as you mentioned, Graham Sooners, big sort of handlebar moustache and I'm sitting there with my blue Scotland top on and I, I, I never wanted to play for anyone else. And, uh, you know, it, it, was, it was a nice feeling. I, I, can remember that, I remember one of my early games at Hamden and we lived in a, in, a, in, a, in a place called Chestnut Gardens which is in Teams and Gateshead, quite a rough area, but... Um, and for some bizarre reason, I've got no idea why I done it. I decided to put a limo on from my dad and my mum and my dad's best friend and his wife to come to Hamden, just because I thought that was the safest way for them to travel in a little bit of luxury. <laughs> dad absolutely hated it. <laughs> Completely out of his comfort zone. Yeah. Couldn't understand why, but I was just trying to think of. I didn't really know who to ring to put a, the normal car on for him. It's so a why nice not? gesture. It's, it's a, a lovely the, gesture. The gesture's there, but... I kind of knew what was coming. Exactly. It was completely misplaced. And, um, and they come to... I can't remember which game it was, and they come and they loved it, and they got the, they got the, the, the sort of transport back, and it was, uh, it was just pretty special having my mum my and dad at, at, at my games for Scotland. 
So when you're heading down to Wembley, there's a lot riding on it that's beyond the professional, that's beyond the bonuses, that's beyond qualifying for the mm. European Championship. There's a, there's a national pride yeah. fired in you uh, since a child. Um, was it always the case that your dad went? Um, at what point when you arrive at a game like that Wembley one where you just cut off and think, you, you forget that your family or your friends are there and watching? What, yeah, the no, footballers are very... Um, once you get your tickets and you know who, the, who you're leaving them for, is the process is quite simple. Before the game, four, t- four tickets, Douglas Hutchison's picking them up, left by Don Hutchison, put them in an envelope, give them to the secretary... Forgot straight away who's coming. That's it. The, some of the most stressful thing for footballers, and even modern day footballers, I would agree, is sorting out tickets, um, who's coming, family, friends, where they're sitting, are they in the are they in the seats okay? Have they got lounge tickets for before and after? And once you get that oil, oil that, that migraine off your head, mm. and that's dealt with, because mm. that's just an annoyance for footballers mm. having these little things to deal with, apart from in your little selfish bubble. The game's the most important thing, yeah. which will always be. But make sure they're taken care of. Once the tickets are picked up, done. Was it one of the best performances of your career that night at Wembley? Goal aside, mm. you, you played really... It, 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 looking back at the footage, Scotland as a team, with you at the linchpin, was using the ball well. Yeah. Was very organised, very confident. A step on, never mind the scoreline, from the Saturday as mm. well. Just... Wembley, so what? Yeah. Premier League players, so what? It's, yeah. It looks like it felt, it, it felt like I've always enjoyed um, being in the Lions' den. You know, whether playing for Sunderland against Newcastle St James's Park, scoring a goal, which I'm a Newcastle fan, um, having played for Everton and Liverpool in Merseyside derbies for both sides, being born in England, playing for Scotland, I've never done anything the conventional way. <laughs> it's always been against the grain, um, but secretly that's that's. That used to fire me up. I remember, I remember, um, and going back to the early game where you mentioned at Hamden, we competed quite well. There was nothing much in the game. Paul Scholes got a couple of headers, which was ludicrous, really, because we'd done all the prep on, you know, people like Tony Adams, people like Martin Kieran, people like Alan Shearer, people like Paul Ince, all coming in the box from wide free kicks and corners, down to every single detail, and no one had Paul Scholes arriving in the box. We had him on either taking free kicks or being on the edge of the 18-yard box for headers coming out and, and taking shots at target. Uh, and he scored a couple of goals and there was ructions going on in the dressing room who was picking them up and no one literally had a clue. But I can remember clear as day being um, standing at Wembley, England to one side, Scotland to the other, and the national anthems were going. And when the, when the Scottish nas- national anthem went off, the... Not abuse, but the boos inside the stadium were so loud, it can either make you sink or go, this is what football's all about. Yeah, and, and I always had, had that in my belly. The, the, the tougher the task, the harder the environment, I'd like to think that's what got me going and I played it probably my best. I'll show you. Yes, exactly that. And I've not seen the, the game for, for quite a number of years, um, but whenever I see it and, and my memories of the game was every single Scottish player in that 11 outplayed the English mm-hmm. in every department, wherever yeah. you want to look. It you felt know, that way. It, it felt that way. Alan Shearer and Michael Owen never got a kick. David Beckham never got a kick. Uh, Barry Ferguson and John Collins dominated, I think it was Paul Scholes and, um, and Paul Ince. Um, me and, 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 and Billy Dodds, 
it was the legs and I come into that little pocket where because I couldn't run in behind anymore wasn't a cross country anymore I was now starting to get more of a tactical brain and being a bit more cute and my first touch was always pretty decent and I was just getting into them pockets where um, Tony Adams and, and Gareth Southgate on the night didn't want to be in they, 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 they missed Martin Keown massively Where was the step ladder? Have you ever jumped that high? What do you mean? Wembley no. Is that the highest you've ever jumped ever, in your career? Ever. <laughs> Again, I think it's just, It was a big jump. It was just ridiculous because things, things happen in football every now and again when you're at your, at your peak and you see things coming an absolute mile off. And we kept hold of the ball and the passage of play was brilliant. Um, Neil McCann got played in down the left-hand side. And Neil was a very good cross of the ball. He, 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 he never really whipped them hard and low. He always had a, an appreciation for, if it was Billy Dodds going to the near post, he'd whip it in hard and low because Billy probably wasn't as good as what I was in the air. Likewise, if he saw me in the box, he wouldn't try and drill one hard and low. He'd stand it up for me. And as he stood the ball quite deep towards the corner flag, I had so much time to judge the flight of it. And that's probably where, again, you see the vision mm-hmm. and... Again, I'll use it in, in my mate's Einstein terms of, of judging the, the trajectory of the cross and how much pace is on it. And it was floated beautifully. And all I had to do, I say all I had to do, was just make sure the timing of my jump was on. Because mm. I knew I had the run on Tony Adams. Mm-hmm. And you're right, it was one of them where I don't know if it's adrenaline. I don't know what it is, but it was easily the highest I've ever jumped. The timing was brilliant. It wasn't the strongest ahead of us. Um, Billy Dodge trying to nick it as it was going over the line which I would have been fuming and my boy always claims it was, a, it was an own goal and I went what own no. goal he went David Seaman should have saved that technically it's an own goal by the keeper he just doesn't want to give me any credit no 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 it's, no it's not I know. it's a thing of absolute towering beauty yeah and uh, easily probably the biggest thing that's ever happened in my life and your dad was there yeah we are lucky enough to have people who support us they're about 365 they've sent you in a couple of questions um, one that I like, they're all pretty sort of um, plain bread, um, not complicated. If you had the chance to manage any of your former clubs, which one would you pick and why? I'd probably go towards Hartlepool. I would. <laughs> I would. It's it. it was, and I know I'm, I'm digressing away from what the question is because it's about managing, but I think out of my whole lifetime, the purest football I ever played was Hartlepool. I wasn't playing for any money. I was earning £27.50 a week. I spent £27.50 a week. It was a sports shop around the corner, which I think I got my first pair of Copa Mundials from, which is easily the best boot ever made. <laughs> uh, and the guy in there was just amazing because he let us, as YTS boys, put something like a fiver down. You take the boots and we just went in every couple of weeks and chipped away at a couple of quid. Uh, you, weren't, you, you had one pair of jeans, one pair of trainers, a couple of tops. It, is, it was what it was. You weren't playing to be a superstar. You were playing to get your foot on the ladder to be a pro. Mm. And that easily was the purest time. To manage, I think, the biggest club I've played for would be Liverpool. So to answer the question, it would be Liverpool. And, and because of the time at Liverpool, there's a pool there. You never played professionally at Newcastle. But, I mean, mm. I, I, does that, once you've had a professional career, which tends to cure a lot of who I supported. You see a lot of players. It, it does. It, 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 it cures a lot of players. It, but have you... Yeah, it dilutes it. Dilutes a better it word. Yeah, it dilutes it's a much better it, word. It, it, it does a dilute it because when you're in the in the pro game and you've played against 
Newcastle and you've played at St James's Park and you've played against them a hundred times at all the other clubs you've played for, you've got to be solid enough to go when you're playing against them to score against them. I actually had a good record against Newcastle. I scored, I think, on my West Ham debut, a penalty. I scored, I think, on my second return under Glen. I scored a diving header. Obviously scored in the, 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 the time we had Derby for Sunderland at St James's Park. So my record was quite good. So I was quite good of, of parking that bus where, as I said before, I played for Everton, played for Liverpool, but there was never any bias. <laughs> it, was a, it is what it is. I'm a pro. This is what we do. So when you, you're in the game, you're diluted on who you support, even though you knew you stood on the Gallagher end for all your, all your teenage life and stood under the scoreboard. So all their memories are still there. And then once you retire you go back to who you support, which fans don't necessarily take it too easy. They, I get hammered from Newcastle fans thinking, oh, you've, you know, you're not a true, new, true Newcastle fan. You play for Sunderland, you scored against us. And I'm like, what was I meant to do? And he went, well, you're not a Newcastle fan, are you? And I went, well, yeah, I was just a pro at the time. Right. It's doing my job. Thank you for joining us for season 2018-19. We've got huge creative plans for the months ahead, but we do need your help to make them happen. Please go right now to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter and become a social, become a paying member and get an extra big interview every month plus loads of bonus content. Last season, socios listened to nine exclusive big interviews including Rafa van der Vaart, Troy Deeney, Roberto Di Matteo and loads of me talking about football. The Premier League, the Champions League, Spanish football. I'm sure they enjoyed it and you will too. Support us, join us. Thank you. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.